and welcome to the Riff Raff podcast hosted by Amy Baker. The Riff Raff is a writer's community that champions the work of debut authors and provides guidance, support and services for those dreaming of one day being published themselves. On today's episode of the Riff Raff podcast, I'm chatting to Catherine Kerwin, author of The Darkest Truth, a fast-paced, twisty thriller with a gutsy protagonist and a timely message. Darkest Truth is set in Cork and follows solicitor Finn Fitzpatrick as she investigates the death of a young woman. Catherine is a solicitor by day who got her big break when she entered the Daily Mail first novel competition. We discuss the art of the cliffhanger, revealing details about your characters via the choices they make, and how taking herself to the real-life settings of her scenes allowed Catherine to beat writer's block. Glancing back to check on the shutter's progress, I saw a short, portly figure in a flat cap and an old man rain jacket standing in front of the office, staring up at the unlit windows. Just then, he looked in my direction. He shouted something I couldn't hear and rushed towards me and grabbed my hand like he wasn't planning on letting go. Miss Fitzpatrick, isn't it? He said. I need to talk to you. It's an emergency. Mid-sixties or older, the man's accent was local, but he was a stranger. If he knew who I was, it was thanks to the firm's website. I've been a solicitor long enough to know that new clients who come to the office without an appointment late on a Friday, any Friday, and especially wet Fridays in November, are to be avoided at all costs. Normally, I give them a business card suggest a meeting the following week, and usually the so-called urgent business evaporates over the weekend. Sorry, not now, I said. I'm finished for the day, and it'll be high tide in less than half an hour. Come back Monday? It has to be now, Miss Fitzpatrick, the man said. Finola, please. I tried to pull away, but his grip on my hand tightened. At the same time, his other hand grabbed my forearm. I looked around in panic. The street was deserted. Not good. Not good at all. I'm five foot eight and fairly strong. The old man was smaller than me, but he was solid and stocky. Though I tried pulling away again, he held me still. I thought about pushing him, which might have had no effect, or worse, might have toppled him like a skittle. I looked down again. After a moment, I realised that the man was weeping. I have to show you something. I'll explain everything, but there isn't much time, he said. It's about my daughter. Come on, I said. But we have to cross the river now or we'll be in trouble. Hi, Catherine. Welcome to the Riffraff podcast. Well, thank you. I'm delighted to be here. I'm delighted you're here. So thank you so much for coming on the show today just to discuss your debut novel, Darkest Truth. Please, can we start with a little introduction to the book? Uh, well, okay, so uh, the book is um, is set in Cork, uh, which is where I live, and it, the main character is somebody called Finn Fitzpatrick, and he's a solicitor. And it, the book opens on on a it's on a dark winter's evening as she's leaving her office, and a man comes up to her, um, and, and says to her that he he wants he, he wants to consult with her, and she tries to send him away, but something about the story pulls her in, so they go to a pub and sit down and have a consultation. And in the course of that, she discovers that something has happened to the man's daughter, who's now dead, and that it, it sort of set around the background of the Cork Film Festival, which is just about to start on, on Sunday. And somebody's coming back to the city who's been there before, and this man thinks that he's the man who has hurt his daughter. And I know that sounds probably very 
kind of rambling, but it's really fast in the book. <laughs> I think. Yeah. And, and, and yeah. what you know, what a setup, and what a, an incredibly kind of timely topic. And you know, there's kind of obviously there's elements of the sort of Harvey, Harvey Weinstein kind of thing in the book. Slightly. I mean, and, but, I, but I understand that you wrote this long before any of that kind of came. I did. Yeah, that's the really weird thing. Um, I, I like I started the book in November. I had been doing some short stories. I'd always thought about writing, was really sort of afraid. And I had been doing some short stories. And then I thought I would write a crime novel because... Well, I had done a short story. There was a twist in the tale and I gave it to a friend of mine to read. And she said, oh, when I realised what was happening, I felt my stomach lurch. And that just gave me a huge thrill. I became crazed with power then, you know, when I just thought, oh, I could do that to other readers. And that's what I want myself. So I um, I thought I'll write a crime novel. So I, I, the film festival is on here every November and I always go. Um, and so then I sat down after the film festival. I thought I'll, I'll write something with the film festival as a background and I'll write about a solicitor because I'm one. Um, and that's so I know those things quite well. And that's I start, that's it. That's all I had when I started. Um, and so the character is somebody who, they, who comes back to the film festival who's been there before. And that's where this scenario came from. But when I was writing it, I was thinking about Jimmy Savile because it, when I was starting in 2014 and that was the time it had been Jimmy Savile and a wall to wall for kind of all that year. And one of the things that kind of was obsessing me was how did he get away with it and all of that stuff about fame? So that was really on my mind. Harvey Weinstein was not on my mind, nothing like that. So it was all about that. So it was just purely a coincidence and a kind of an odd sort of thing um, that it came out of that. Just situational, really, you know? Yeah, yeah. but it's often, it's often books predict what's going to happen in the future and stuff like that. So, you know, I suppose that kind of, you know, that abuse of power and that how pe- the sort of people that have got the control and the fame and the, a certain image how they're um you know they there was always going to be some kind of big reveal like with Jimmy Savile you know so it's 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 yeah. interesting, you know interesting that it happened like that um so mm. obviously you mentioned one fascinating element of the story is that it's told from the perspective of Finn who's a lawyer and as yes. you mentioned you're a lawyer too um yeah. so can yeah can you talk a little bit more about the process of weaving in your own knowledge of the law to tell the story that you wanted to tell and kind of enrich it and also how the story that you chose to tell, how it allowed you to sort of explore maybe your frustrations with the law, if that was something that happened. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I was kind of, what I wanted to do when I was writing the book was to, to, to find something that could happen, you know, so I wanted to ground it in very much uh, a, a real, I wanted her to be a real solicitor and to be a real um to, to, for it to feel real for the reader and also for other lawyers if they were reading it that it would that she would think like a lawyer um, and that she would um, build a case like a lawyer builds a case because you know something doesn't just sort of land in on your desk and you sort of say oh well you know this is this is my case now and I'll, I'll head off to court you have to pull together the elements um, of a case which is what I think Finn does in the book she tries to, to to kind of drag together the evidence, and um, and uh, and so that's why I, I sort of I, I didn't want her to be a sort of Barbie lawyer, you know, with a briefcase, 
I wanted her to sort of think like a lawyer. Um, and I do have a court scene in the book, which is now quite short, but at the beginning it was very long. <laughs> and um, it was cut during the editing process. And I, I kept trying to keep elements of the, there was a longer court scene. And it was one of my struggles. I saw, But I, I really want people to know she's a real lawyer. And the editor was just saying, well, they know already because there's so many other details there. So it's now much shorter. And I now totally am happy with it being gone, except there, she does go to court. But there isn't um, a big, long winded sort of description of her court case, because that isn't necessary for the story. No, you know? it and it's the, yeah. the bits where she's when she's kind of doing her lawyering, you know, and she's following yeah. certain leads and taking certain actions and when she's kind of maybe overstepping the mark a little bit and stuff like that, yeah. that kind of it, that really enriches the story. Like the steps that you would take for like a lay person that wouldn't know how you'd go about finding out clues and stuff like that. It was a very, yeah. a very interesting part of the story for me to see her doing those bits. Yeah. And it's, um, yeah, but I suppose she, there, there are parts of the book where she's sort of overstepping the line on ethics and she kind of has to think that through and how far does she go and, and so on and so forth. Um, but that's all part of it because I, I think that it's a, it, what I really wanted it to be was a story that could happen, but probably it wouldn't, I certainly wouldn't be brave enough. I wouldn't, I would, I would step back from if this guy came, I would say, look, this is really not for me, but Finn is much braver than I am. Mm and um kind of more reckless than i am you know so it's okay for her to do it braver than a lot of people and um she she is very unique and i was i'd mentioned this to you when we first started chatting she's such an interesting character and such a you know the kind of character you can imagine people reading multiple books about and then i learned (laughs) that this is the just the first in the series of the finn fitzpatrick series how many are we how many are on the way well, I don't know, hopefully loads, but that was one of, I suppose, from a kind of nerdy writer backgroundy thing. That was one of the reasons when I was writing the book that I kind of, it wasn't just her. I put her in a, a kind of milieu, like she's in a, she's in a big firm. There are other people working there. She's got a friend who works in the, in the guards and the Irish police. And she's got, you know, there are various other people that, who can provide ways for her to get into trouble again and again and again yeah you know that's actually because I was going to ask you what advice you'd have for people that are creating a repeat character and I suppose that idea of creating other characters around her that will help the story be told in a different way but with these interesting people that's a really great way of going about it that's what I thought because if 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 I think of the series series that I like uh, they always have other characters who aren't just props they're real characters and and sometimes um you're reading for the secondary characters just as much as the main character you know absolutely um yeah like you know in the Rebus books the Siobhan's and all of those you know they're they're really good um characters you know so um that's that was very much in my mind that it wouldn't it wouldn't just be her it would be a world yeah what what, do you have any other tips about for people as apart from the world any other tips for people that are writing a a character such as this I don't know for me it just sort of came quite organically and I just went along with it and I just um I suppose I felt my way into her character um and then I got just got to know her as I went along I hadn't 
done the big character biography that I know some people do um, about what what kind of you know about everything that she does but I just one of the things that I did do actually and some of the some people who read it didn't like it and other people really did like it was that I put in things like what kind of she eats for breakfast and what kind of coffee she likes and all of that kind of stuff because I I feel that that reveals character and yeah so those little details so I I did that all the time that she's not going to be um and they're kind of sort of um sort of petty in a way but I think they are revealing I think that's a that's a really good answer like it's a it's a a way of showing the decisions they make on a day-to-day basis that would affect their behavior and that would um show kind of yeah what I I think that adds a lot of texture in a really subtle way I think that's a really great tip And the other thing as well is it's the places she goes. And to be honest, now that I'm thinking about it, um, I'm thinking out loud now, a lot of the reason that I did this is because I'm a really big Michael Connolly fan, you know, and he writes the the book set in L.A. And there are always lots of things in his books about where the characters go to have their lunch and what they have and all of that kind of stuff, you know, the, the various locations. So the city is, and also even you know, the Rebus books, I mean, I love those. Uh, um, so it's f- where people go and what they do with their day. It, not, not so much telling you that I'm a person who likes uh, good food or I like um, a particular kind of clothes. I just try and show it by doing it, by what they do, rather than actually telling the reader what they like. Yeah, you know, or, or putting them in a scene where they're doing it and so where they're as, actually as doing the action's it. happening so that it's just, yeah. Like, yeah, it's, um, yeah it's, I love thinking about it on that macro level. It's, it's really nice. Yeah. Um, of course, there's, there's another thing that you do um, that paints out Finn's character really effectively, which is these glimpses, these kind of memories that she, that so yeah. glimpses into her past. And um, yeah. they're obviously written in a very different way to the rest of the text in the book. Mm. And I just wondered if you could talk a little bit about um, your intentions with those passages and, yeah, why you decided to put them in and what you hoped to achieve by doing so. Well, I suppose with those ones, it's just, like, Finn has had a difficult past. Um, I don't want to say too much, but but she's had a difficult early life. Um, and when that happens to somebody... Um, I think that I suppose she she's that those experiences still intrude on her as an adult. Now she's really controlled, you know. That's one of the things she might, you know, she kind of keeps herself under control all the time. But then sometimes she can't. Um, but I my intention with writing it in a different way was to not to have it as a child's voice, but to have it as a very emotional sort of a child's voice, voice, but also a sort of an emotional register rather than and some sort of a contrast to her very controlled kind of daily lawyer life so I I, I did want it to be sometimes she can think kind of quite cognitively about um and analyze herself you know she sort of psychoanalyzes herself uh, a little bit at times but then other times it's just the pure emotion and mm. um, and the sort of past trauma intruding and um, so that's it felt was like my they idea. Were, they were more like mem, you know. They, it was it was yeah. how potent like the the scenes weren't as clear or the observations no. were different. It was more kind of you know more dreamlike or more the kind of patches of certain details yeah. that you'd remember. Yeah, I thought they were written very really beautifully. Um, yeah. 
So before we get away from um, this is a, a side question. Um, as a as a lawyer, how fun is it to write yeah. court cases? It must be <laughs> like just because you know court cases to nail it is like that is like so exciting. So, but I can imagine you can get really into writing court, um, court scenes. Yeah, um, like there's a there's a kind of big court scene at the end, which is very much part of the story, and I love doing that. You know, I really enjoyed that um, a lot, and it's um, and. I put it in that courthouse because it's so atmospheric and I just, um, I picked that particular one, uh, which is Green Street Courthouse in Dublin. And, um, and it's just, um, and of course we're, we're, I'm, I'm familiar with it from being there in my day job, but it's also kind of an iconic thing that we see in TV and film as well, you know, so we all have our own ideas of it. Um, and yeah, it is great fun. Yeah, it is great fun. And, and I wanted, you know, yeah, I just wanted to have the the whole sort of picture of the reporters there and of the, the, the various lawyers and of the judge. And yeah, I really enjoyed it Yeah, very much. I, it's something I'd like to do more of, actually. Yeah, well, yeah. you know, you've got the potential to, I imagine, with the, yeah. with the stories that are to come. Um, so speaking of setting, um, you do... Yeah it's based in Cork and you really described the seat the the city like no I haven't been but I felt like I got yeah. a sense of it and um and same with Dublin to a certain extent and um yeah so I just wanted to talk about a little about the work that you put into the setting obviously you're, you live there so it must have been quite yeah. fun to kind of describe the seats and stuff but um yeah and the role that kind of setting played in the novel on the whole yeah, for me that was really important. Um, I I wanted it to have the real feel of walking around, but that I suppose I, I use this. One of the things that if you live in Cork or if you visit Cork, you you have this sense of water all the time because there are rivers everywhere. Um, and so I used the um, and this flooding. The city opens with flooding, or sorry, the the novel opens with flooding, and so or with a a flood warning. And so I, I want I, I, I tried to use that as a metaphor for sort of hidden things bubbling up from underneath. And that was that was my idea. Um sort of well when I say my idea, it was sometimes it just happens, but I did have this sense of the water all the time and and water rising and engulfing and all of that, you know. But I I, I what I would say to other writers is kind of go with it because it's not you can't really well for me anyway I know some people plan everything but I think a lot of it is about just kind of finding what comes up as you're writing you know and kind of going with it and also um, you know, that that idea of you know the, kind of the idea that it sort of symbolizes the flooding of like things being about to uncover in this kind of uncontrollable yeah. surge of what's going to happen you know that's, yeah. that's that's such a lovely detail Again, it's texture to the novel, isn't it? You know, you don't know when those yeah. ideas are going to come to you, but like it just, it sets the scene, it sets the pace, it does so much, but it's just such a small, a small detail. But isn't it, yeah. isn't it, um, it's Hemingway, isn't it, that talks about um, always using the weather in your, in your book or um, he, a lot of books obviously happen over heat waves or there seems, it seems yeah. like weather's often used as a component. It seems like it's one of the things that you need to consider when you're kind of providing the background maybe to the book. Well, I think you have to have a feel, don't you? You know, you really have to have a feel to the book and, a, and an atmosphere. And especially with crime novels, it's usually, it's used, the weather and foreshadowing and all of that is just essential, you know. And so everything's going well, but there's a cloud there. 
So you really, when you're a crime reader, you get to you get to sort of um, understand those codes, you know. And especially with a book like this as well, it's ne- there's always going to be a problem coming. If everything's going well, you know that really better look behind you, Finn, because it's not going to last. And, but that's you know? what that that's what creates those stomach lurch moments, as you mentioned yeah, earlier, which I love. Yeah. yeah. Oh my god, me too. And that that moment when you're you know, you're, 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 something's cast in doubt or something's revealed mm. and you're, and that, that is, that's what keeps you reading. Definitely. You know, you're waiting for those moments. You're like living for those moments and your book definitely, definitely has that. Um, but so in terms of the, doing those things that make people stomach lurch, it's that yeah. stomach's lurch. Um, yeah. What tips do you have for people that are looking to do the same, you know, like create how to, how did, how did you approach creating that all-important visceral response in your readers? Oh, God. Um, one of the things I like to do is just keep things moving. You know, there are – and so um, – and I, I am a bit I'm, – I'm a bit of a fan of the old cliffhanger as well. So at the end of a chapter, I do like – I do like a nice cliffhanger. Oh, me too. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I like how things sound. So something about, I, 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 I usually have, I, I usually speak dialogue aloud to myself as I'm going along and see does it sound right. Mm. Um, I'm usually cutting all the time as I go along as well. Um, I write something. I usually start by writing by hand. Um and uh, then pretty quickly I'll push it onto uh, onto the screen and I'm cutting already, you know. Um, so that's the way I that's the way I do things. And then of course I add in things later as well. But I'm always I'm always editing as I go. I know other people don't do that. They they kind of vomit everything out and then go back later. But I'm always chopping as I go. I love you know, the idea that you, uh, that you start writing by hand. How 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 much of the process would be would that be? I start, I start writing by hand, and I might just write a sort of an A4 page, and then I'll put it on, or I might write three pages, and I put it on depending on um, how it goes. And actually, there was one scene that I had real real trouble with. Um, um, I just couldn't write it, and I knew there was it was a really easy scene in a way. It, it's um, where Finn goes home to visit her parents for Sunday lunch. And it's not, it's more about character really rather than moving the plot on. But it was a kind of an important scene uh, for, for texture and character. But at the same time, it shouldn't have been that hard to write, but I couldn't write it. And I, so I skipped it. I, I said, you know, left a kind of box. Finn goes home for Sunday lunch. Um, and I moved on with the book. And then I had to, um, I had to write it um, because ultimately, you know, you, sometimes you have, you just have to. So I, what I did with that was um, I went to the part of the city where Finn's parents live and I kind of walked around there and I then went to the pub that's that's kind of just down the hill and sat in the back of the pub with a notebook and a cup of coffee and I started writing it there by hand and I wrote about three pages and I had it then. You know, uh, not all. I mean, obviously, I changed it and added to it and whatever. But that was the only way I could write it. And there's a scene in a graveyard, sort of towards the beginning of the book, and I, I 
had to, uh, the only way I could write that was by walking repeatedly around the graveyard myself um, and walking up there and kind of walking back. And um, I did that. I spent, I spent about, I spent all a bank holiday weekend kind of writing that section of the book, um, kind of the bit before the graveyard, the graveyard and the bit after it by just walking, walk, writing by walking kind yeah. of, you know. I love that idea, like actually putting yourself <laughs> into the setting that you're writing about, you know, because I suppose then you can get the sort of flow going by thinking about the, mm. what you can hear and what you can see and this kind yeah. of people that are around. So it kind of puts you in that. It already gives you some details that you're looking for and then from that yeah. you can flow. It's a really lovely idea. And also, that you know, nice to sort of do that as your creative process. I'm, I'm a great believer in the... Uh the doing to kind of work out the problem in definitely. the writing, you know. And there's, there's definitely something about movement mm. that helps you come up with ideas and just, yeah. that's, it's often like running and walking and stuff like that. It just seems yeah. to be quite a sort of handy tool for writers, you know, because it's just mm. that kind of silence that you don't necessarily get when you're sort of surrounded by stimulation. You know, you can literally mm. just walk and think gives you a chance yeah. to actually think and it's often difficult to find that time to just do the thinking when you're trying, yeah. when you're so trying so hard to do the doing yeah it is it's really crucial to just get out of the house um, and get moving and the problem that you've had usually or often is fixed in the walk you come back run up the stairs then um and uh, and write it down before you forget. Yeah, you my know? notes on my phone are just completely full of revelations that I've had mid mid wander. <laughs> yes, exactly, exactly. And also, it's good to get away from the desk. It's good not to be sentient completely. You know, like not sentient. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what sedentary? God, sedentary. Yeah, yeah. Blimey. Sentient is important. Yeah, but se- also important. Yes. <laughs> yeah, but not yeah. relevant in this context. Well, I suppose it is relevant in this context. Yeah. Um. So, um, you touched on it a little bit before about your planning, and it strikes me that it would be a book that was thoroughly planned down to like the chapter because of how many twists and turns there are, how many new leads, new suspects, new developments. You know, there's not a, a chapter where the plot's not being driven forward. Um, mm. Did you did you plan the book? No. Strictly, no? Not at all? No, I didn't, no. Wow. No, but, but the book, like, I, I wrote a short version of the book first. Uh, it was sh- much shorter. Um, that was the first draft, and... That was about uh, sixty-five thousand words, and and then I I kind of went back and added in other elements. That's what happened. Um, um, so then it became eighty thousand words. Then it became ninety thousand words. Then it became about one hundred and five thousand words, and now it's back under a hundred thousand. You know, so it was kind of, there were loads of elements woven in. And what I did do at the beginning though was I had. I had some very clear sort of as as I was going along, I knew that there were so, at the begin yeah I, I was kind of well into the book and then I realised where it was going. So I did a sort of a one page outline of the main story, um, and then I had some other ideas that I didn't write until later, you know, other kind of sections of it. But I wrote the main story first, and I felt because it was my first book. I felt it was really important for me to get to an end, you know, 
um, not it was the end, and it's kind of pretty much the same ending, or you know, more or less, mainly. Um, but I felt if I didn't get to the end, then I wouldn't know that I'd be able to get to the end. And then once I had a, an ending, I was able to go back and re um, kind of complicate it. Yeah. You know, it was more like more like if you were thinking of. Um, you know, your hair, I'm looking at your hair there now, and uh, it's more like, you know, you've got a, a straight ponytail or something initially, and then I went back and kind of rewove it um, into a plait or something. Yeah, yeah. Is, I quite yeah. like that, I think, because, you know, you get lost in the idea that you need to know everything for the story no. as you go along, but really, it's it actually, it seems from doing this podcast and meeting a lot of authors who have written things that sort of have twists or really exciting endings... Ooh. A lot of them know the ending. That they yeah. they start the book knowing the ending, and so was was that the case with you? Did you did you know the ending, or were you you're writing? To I kind of knew. I knew. I knew definitely. I knew one aspect of the ending, but then other things came to me as I went along. Yeah. You know. Yeah, I did. I, I I had an idea as I was going along, and then but I I kind of changed aspects of it as I was going through and stuff you know can you, um, can you talk about that bit like because you know one of the joys of writing you know because often you can get bogged down in how hard it is to make things be a cohesive narrative but one of the joys of writing is when you have those moments when things slot into place and you're like yeah yeah oh that's lovely can you talk a little bit about that must have happened a lot for you with this book yeah I suppose it did yeah it's um I'm just trying to think now, joyous moments. You see, it's a file since I wrote it, so I'm trying to remember where they're particularly... There, there is just this... I mean, what I, what I would say is that it's really... Sometimes we writers talk a lot about how hard it is, but the reality is nobody would be doing it unless they enjoyed it, mm. you know? And so it is really satisfying. And then... But there, the satisfaction kind of sort of recedes really quickly then because from um you're really happy with something and then it's it's kind of crap almost immediately then it must be that you know like very quickly it turns to rubbish <laughs> you know sort of like oh it's no it's no good it's no good I must make it better so um it's very hard to remember the the joyous moments you know yeah, but, then I suppose um, but there are yeah. there are some bits um there's a scene in a in a garden station towards the end of the book that I really really liked writing, um, and I I still really I, I do remember the laughing um, as I was writing it as I was going along. I won't say who's there, but I think you might remember it. Yeah, you know, so um, yeah, I really enjoyed that cool. with a particularly kind of not nasty character. You know, yeah. So I remember I know exactly it, the bit you're talking about. It's an excellent yeah. scene. Um, so one thing, one tool that I admired was your use of sort of dropping in brief summaries of the most recent findings. Okay. To succinctly kind of sum up where we're up to. So, so the reader, okay. like, so the reader's up to speed. And there's there's obviously a fine art to this because you know you need to mm. leave enough up to the reader's interpretation. But you, mm. and you certainly don't want to be heavy handed with these yeah. kind of summaries. But you need like these kind of yeah these recaps of where we're at so that people can keep up with such a fast-paced novel seems mm -hmm. like it would be quite a a fine art to get that right and I wondered um at what point did you kind of include these 
these little just little bits. Do you know the one the bits I mean? Oh, I think I, I think I was doing that all the way along. Okay, and I think that's where my um, legal training probably helps. I don't see you know there's there's um. The ability to kind of handle and juggle a lot of information um, is probably a great, you know, I think that does come from uh, working as a lawyer, you know, I, I, I would think so, you know, you have to be able to kind of handle it and kind of put it all together and say, okay, where are we now? But I, I suppose there must be quite a lot of, like, you know, obviously your experience as a lawyer, but then your um, experience of being able to summarise things in a succinct way, like to present the yeah. facts, you know, it's... um yeah. It's amazing to me that you know you're you're a lawyer, but then you managed to just write a book as well. <laughs> yeah, well, I did it at the weekends, and yeah. um, really, I, I don't really write during the week at all. I just can't, you know. And um, well, I mean, I can, but I also have a job, so I um really, I, I don't even, I kind of mostly don't even try, you know, unless something happens and I think of something, then I'll make a note. Um, so weekends and holidays. Holidays are the best because. And long weekends, bank holidays, Easter, you know, that kind of concentrated time, really kind of binge, binge writing, really, you know, um, that that they're the best because you're just totally in the zone and kind of writing sort of, um, not, not writing all the time, but working on the book all the time for, you know, hours and hours and hours and hours and hours and then kind of collapsing in the heat, in a heap at the end of the week, like barely able to see you know um, but you know but no, yeah but it really enjoyable because why else would I be doing it you know but one of the things actually that that's one of the kind of transferable skills for a crime writer and a lawyer is one of the things that we do is we try to persuade um you know we try to persuade our opponent or we try to persuade the judge or we try to persuade, um, you know, basically our, our client really is not as bad as he seems or um, we try to persuade our opponent that our case is much better than it is, even though we may have a very weak case. So that's, I think, a transferable skill from, because I'm trying to persuade the reader, I feel that I'm trying to persuade the reader that this is, a believable story and that people are running around Cork doing all these things and you know driving up and down to Dublin and all of that kind of stuff so I'm trying to kind of persuade the reader to stay with me and suspend their disbelief and just kind of hang in there for the story and for the characters you know one element that you've weaved really well into the story is the sort of perspective of the bystander um, you know, the person yeah. that kind of sees what's happening and stands by and does nothing for fear of repercussions, you know, to their own okay. career or their own circumstances. And I just wonder mm. if, if you could talk a little about how you approach feeding in the diff these different perspectives of, with your different characters. Um, is there any character in particular you're thinking of or... or um... I think it was, you know, there was... Okay, I think it's, maybe it's Finn herself at the workshop, is it? Finn herself, when there's, there's people yeah. that work, there's people that work at the film festival, there's um, yeah. people that were, um, you know, yeah. there, was, there was the head teacher at the school, there was, yeah. um, you know, like the sort of, like the um, the nun to a certain extent, Yeah. the parents to a certain extent, yeah. there was a lot of people that knew something Could had have. happened but didn't do anything. And yes, I just, I just, okay. Yeah. If you could talk a little bit about that. Well, I just think it's kind of human to do that. You know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of, um, there's a kind of question of when do we intervene, when don't we? There's there's things like privacy issues. There's things like 
you know, we're not, we're really not that brave usually. We're usually kind of, it's easier to sort of stand back um, and do nothing um, rather than to intervene and possibly get your head bitten off or worse, you know. So I, I, I don't really condemn people who stand back so much because I, but I would just wish that I could be braver, that other people can be braver, you know, because I think we need to be, I think we need to be, you know, but I think it's very, very hard to be brave, you know. I suppose the book shows what happens when people aren't as brave as they should be, you know, like it shows the kind of the result of that maybe. And I think there's a discussion as well between um, Sadie um, and Finn at one stage where it's about creating the conditions for people to be able to step forward, you know, where, and so I think that that's what the whole kind of Me Too movement has been about, where it's, where it's okay for people to speak out and it's okay for people to make complaints to the police and to the, you know, the authorities because they will hopefully now be listened to in a way that in the past they wouldn't have been. You know, so that's, I think, what that's about, you know. And you've also got your, your tagline as well for the book is, you know, it only takes one person to break the silence. And so Yeah, that's, and I think that's been proven true, hasn't it, now, you know, in recent times. Absolutely, um, absolutely. So. absolutely. And, um, you know, but I wondered, because obviously there's an element of, within the book, of showing how the legal system works and how it doesn't serve victims of sexual assault. Mm. And um, in particular victims of historic sexual assault and I suppose mm. you know you understand the law you know the its shortcomings and so there's mm. an element I suppose of wanting to present the case of what it's like now so there's yeah. as well as writing a really entertaining crime book you know so it's mm. it's there's kind of this need to educate how did you balance the need to educate with the need to entertain yeah, I don't know. I suppose one of the things that um, that helped me in that, well, I mean, very much so, was the um, was having uh, having the editor there, really, because the editor, uh, my editor, Sunny Mar, was great, and she um, she's in um, in um, Penguin Random House in um, Century Arrow, you know. So Arrow, I think, is the is the overall place that. Um, and um, so she, she, she obviously has the layperson's perspective. So she was very much able to um, ask for more in some places or ask for less in other places, you know. So that was, that, that, I think that's probably how, how I did it. Um, I probably tried my best from my own point of view. And then she, um, she kind of said, well, could we have a little bit more of that, please? And I would say, okay, that's no problem. <laughs> and uh, we'd do it, you know, so. Yeah. Yeah, I think that, that I think that's really the answer. Yeah, and um, let's just like finally, I know that your route to publication was quite interesting because you entered the Daily Mail first novel competition, I believe. I did, yes. And, and I encourage everybody to enter it. Actually, uh, well, not every, well, everybody who's got a, a suitable book. Um, I yeah, I was just really um lucky because I. Was just looking at Facebook one day, and um, there's a writer from Belfast called Paul McVeigh, and he kind of posts up about. Uh, you probably know him, yeah. um, and he's uh, he's a great guy, and I follow him on Facebook, and and he posts posts up about writing competitions and stuff like that, and I saw it, and I had the book at that stage. Um, I had uh, I'd finished a first draft, and he said, "Oh, this here, here's this competition." So I just um, 
because, well, I've got nothing to lose. So I printed off the requisite amount of words, wrote a covering letter. Um, I think I found out about it about two days before the closing date. Mm-hmm. And I um, sent in a covering letter, a summary of the book, and uh, kind of they asked for quite, well, they did then, they asked for quite a long uh, biography of you, you know, relatively long, I can't remember, but, you know, much longer than you'd normally expect. So I put it in an envelope, posted it, and promptly pretty much forgot about it, um, never thinking really that I'd hear again. But I was at home one um, one evening here and got a phone call from Luigi Bonomi, who's now my agent, um, and he's, uh, I, I, I just couldn't believe it. And he said he was phoning from the competition and uh, that I was in the top 10 of 5,000. And um, what you know was I around for the next weeks so that they would be shortlisting? So I made the shortlist of six, but I didn't win because um, Amy won with the Innocent Wife, and she did a really good job with that, and um, she um, deservedly won. But I was shortlisted, and then Luigi came back to me and said he'd like to read the rest of the book, and so I sent it to him, and then he came back quite shortly after that and said he'd like to take me on. So. That's how it all started. But he said the book was too short and that I'd have to work on it. And and then, you know, some months later, it was ready to go to the publishers. So, um, and then the, unbelievably as well, then I got this a published. Amazing, you know, amazing. It's unbelievable because it's a wonderful, wonderful book. And I encourage everyone to read it. It's, um, yeah, a really compelling read. Oh, my goodness. I'm excited for Finn pa- Fitzpatrick number two. Oh, thank you, Amy. <laughs> when, thank can, you so... when can we expect that? Um, good question, but not yet anyway. But yeah, soon, hopefully. Yeah, soon. It's not finished yet. Okay. But it is started. Yeah. Are you enjoying the writing process of book two? Oh, absolutely, yeah. I mean, as, like I said to you earlier on, I wouldn't be doing it unless I, unless I uh, enjoyed it. Yeah, so. I, I, I like the idea a lot of just really... You know, giving yourself the time and space and reserving those kind of like weekends and, you know, holidays and stuff to really get yourself immersed in what you, in, 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 this, in the book that you're writing and enjoy it, like take pleasure in it. It's, um, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um, okay. Well, thank you so much. That was wonderful. Thank you for coming on the Big Podcast. Thank you, Amy. Good luck with everything. Have you heard about the Riffraff Mentoring Scheme? This is a new service we've launched which pairs those currently working on books with published contemporary authors within your specific genre so that you can get expert advice and feedback on your work in progress. To read more, learn how to get involved, and to check out our incredible lineup of author, mentors, slash coaches, head over to the-riffraff.com or come say hey on Twitter at riffraff underscore LDN. You've been listening to the Riffraff podcast. If you like what you hear, please do recommend us to any or many of your writing friends and do check out the website over at the-riffraff.com. See ya.